0: Unafraid witness. Everybody say unafraid witness. unafraid witness. Well, that was weak. All right, like say it like you mean it. Unafraid witness. Unafraid witness. Hmm. unafraid witness. What does that really look like, right? To be completely sold out. To not have worry whether somebody will receive what you're saying or not. Just think about that. So the way we say this uh, point often is sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. Okay, so I put that up on the screen. You write that down on your paper. Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. This is kind of like the sentence that we use. The two words are kind of like the nickname for the pillar, all right? And... uh Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And then this is the reference, it's not on your page, but it should be, this is the reference that you all, we'd love for you to memorize, and that is Ephesians six, nineteen and 20. Let me read it for you off the screen. And also, for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. When you get to that reference later in the week, as you're memorizing it, just underline that in your Bible, boldly. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, there it is twice, right? As I ought to speak. That word speak is what I'm going to get after today. We need to speak boldly for Jesus Christ. That's it. Like, let's go home then. Now, I want to show you from God's word where that is and how that is said, So um, let me start with this. Have you ever had the opportunity to share Jesus Christ? Mike, you and I, evangelists, right? I mean, it's a gift God's given us. Have you ever had the opportunity, Mike, to share Jesus Christ with somebody and you like pulled up on it, right? You're like, man, clearly God, I felt this feeling before. Clearly God wants me to open my mouth and say something boldly with love to this person. But like, eh, it's not the right day. It's not the right time. Anybody ever done that? Where you're like, I felt God say, do this. And then I was like, "Mm, push that down. Right? And I suppressed it. I denied it. I really rejected the opportunity that God gave me. It's just an opportunity. It may come back around. But I rejected it. Um, That happens to me sometimes. Maybe it happens to you. I want you to take out your pen and I want you to write down the name of three people. God's going to bring them back to mind right now. Three people that you've maybe had the opportunity to share the gospel with and you've kind of pulled up on that. Okay, go ahead. I wrote down three people on my hand here. You can write it in your notes. Three people that, man, there was that one day when I was with them and God said, do this, and I said, no, but I'm hoping that God will give me that opportunity again. Don't do it without him saying yes again, okay? Don't do it. Don't bruise the fruit. Um, But if he prompts you this week to say something to that person that you're writing down right now, it doesn't have to be three. It could be 10, okay? It could be one, right? But I just threw out three because it's my favorite number. Write down three people, okay? Holy Spirit, bring it back to your mind right now people that you've had an opportunity and you've pulled up on it. When it comes to telling, sharing Jesus, why is it that we're afraid? What are we afraid of? Really? A little participation. What, do, what are you afraid of? Rejection, Rejection. okay. That's fair. What are you afraid of? Think about it now. When it comes to sharing Jesus Christ with other people, why do you pull up? What are you afraid of? Yep. Yeah. Fear of the loss of that relationship. What else? Yeah, you could lose your job. For sure you could. They've already heard it, right? Yeah, I'll, I might look foolish, especially in your profession. <laughs> That's possible. I would say you could lose your life. Hey, you could lose your life. Yeah, you could. I wrote down a few things that came to mind for me. Uh, some of them are covered already. I'm, I'm afraid to offend someone. I don't really want to offend you. Not today not ever. I'm not sure that God will open their eyes, right? Because we know that this is a spiritual transaction, right? This isn't a physical thing. I'm not selling them something. God actually has to open their eyes, like he did me. And I can't make that happen for them. So I'm afraid that God won't do it. I'm afraid that they'll ask me something I don't know. That was a good one. I mean, I just... I'm a pastor, I should know everything, right? Isn't that the persona? Isn't that the perception that you have? He's the pastor, he should know every verse in the Bible, and sorry, I don't. And then this, I don't know what to say. I think the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. But I really, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what to say. Well, I wrote this down. Tell them what God said to you. When God came for you, what did he say? That's gonna boggle some of you because you've been going to a church all your life and you believe with all your heart you're saved. But you've never heard the voice of God. That's hard to say even as your pastor, as I said it. But it was my existence for a long time from age 15 to age almost 17, age 15, did I say 15? I'm age five. You know, when you have the like, little prayer, I want to go to heaven prayer, easy believism prayer, that's the one I had had at five, and almost 17 years old, a month short of my 17th birthday, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a savior. I needed to be rescued from my sin and I asked Jesus to do that. And when I asked Jesus to do it, I gave him everything, my whole life. I'll do whatever you want me to do, that's exact words I said. Tell them what God said to you. God said to me in that moment, cut off my thought, I'm gonna be a missionary in Africa, that's what every good Baptist kid thinks. And I was thinking, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa, and God cut that off, and he said this. He said, go love and lead the people of Rochester. I don't even know what that means. I guess I'm going to go tell some people about Jesus, right? So I'll tell my friends. Today we're going to look at the life of Paul. I want you to uh, flip over to Acts chapter 14. We'll be here just briefly, but i got to start here. This is on his first missionary journey. It's only a mission called a missionary journey because the maps say it's a missionary journey. Just being honest. He is on mission, and the mission is, well, you're going to see what it is. It's threefold. Uh, and he kind of like coined the mission. But Jesus had told him already, go make disciples, right? Look at the life of Paul. He has many reasons to stop telling about God, right? To stop speaking for God. He should be scared out of his mind. Just let me read this story from Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Everybody say ouch. Yeah, several times ouch. (laughs) and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They thought they killed him. But, 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 when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. You're like, no, no, wrong way, bro. Wrong way, don't go in the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, When they had, here's number one, write it in your Bible, number one, preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. This is the plan. This is the missionary plan. This is the way we make disciples of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Number two, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, Encouragement's a great thing, everybody, right? You like encouragement? I'm here to encourage you today to, to be unafraid in your witness, right? Encouragement's a great thing, but I want, to, I want to be honest about what the plan is. Number two here, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, trials, hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. The only way you're going to enter the kingdom of God as a believer in Jesus Christ is by dying because the kingdom's on the other side of life. Let's just be clear, right? So that's how you're going to enter the kingdom. It's going to be hard. You're going to die, right? And that's just the way we enter the kingdom of God, because it's a spiritual kingdom, right? All right, and then this, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, it's a serious thing to appoint elders, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. What they did is they committed them to the Lord in whom they believe. They connected them to Jesus, right? They're like, hey, we told you about Jesus. We opened our mouth, right? But now I'm connecting you to the power source himself. It's not through me now. I've baptized you. You've got a direct connection to God. Boom, here it is, right? It's pretty cool what he does here. Flip over to... 1 Corinthians, or actually 2 Corinthians. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. Paul should have given up. He should have packed it in. He should have headed home. He got stoned because he was telling people about Jesus. He preached the word. He strengthened the people. He was honest with them. It's going to be hard. And he installed spiritual leaders, elders in the church, so that this ongoing encouragement would happen. On his second missionary trip, we only call it a missionary trip because the maps call it that, he was on mission, right, to start a church, and he started a church in Corinth on his second journey. Corinth is in uh, Achaia, Uh, it's near Athens, Greece uh, today, and he started this church, and he loved this church. And then on his third missionary trip, he wrote 1 Corinthians to kind of like help them out because they were kind of needed a lot of help from Ephesus, and then he got kicked out of Ephesus, more to come on that in a second, and he wrote 2 Corinthians, the book we're in now, from Macedonia, probably Philippi. Okay, now, you got that, that was a nice travelogue, that's awesome. You're like, I don't even get any of that, great. You need to understand this, we're picking up where we left off, Paul's still traveling, he's trying to plant churches, he's trying to say the gospel, he's trying to strengthen the disciples, he's trying to install elders, For Jesus Christ's name, that's what he's doing. He's doing it unafraid, right? He knows he might get killed, it's okay. He's just gonna keep doing what God wants him to do. We should applaud him for that. That's tough to do. But that's what God's calling us to do too. Look at chapter uh, one of 2 Corinthians. Chapter one says, verse eight, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. It was a riot that broke out in Ephesus. He was there for almost three years. It broke out. He almost got killed in that riot. Just keep reading. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God. So that was ordained by God to make me dependent on him. <laughs> on God who raises the dead. Paul must be thinking back to the time he was stoned and left for dead and going like, "Hey, even if they stone me and leave me for dead, God can raise me up. God will have me go again. There's nothing they could do to hurt me." Paul says, Look at verse uh, twelve of chapter two, just across the page. There's a little bit of travelogue here. Paul now writing to these Corinthians. You got to understand, he left Ephesus under a riot threat of life. He's so concerned for the Corinthians. He's written now. This is his second, third letter. <laughs> he sent Titus to them because he's so concerned for their well-being spiritually. He's in much turmoil inside and outside threat of life. Would you be scared? Would you? Let's be honest in church. Would you be scared? Like I'm going home. And he's not going home. Look at it there. Verse 12, chapter 2. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel, I'm just going to do it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. It's like he has an open opportunity. What's he going to do? Well, he's Paul. He's always going to take the open door. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Same scenario I just painted for you. You ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something? to tell the gospel to someone, what did you do? Put it down, you know? Paul's doing the same thing. He's got an open door for ministry. Just stay there, Paul. And he's like, I've got so much going on in me right now. I can't stay here and do anything for them. I got to get myself right. Now, verses 14 and following all the way through chapter 7, Look at it, chapter 7. Go ahead, come on, students of the Bible, look at it. Chapter 7, verse 4, is all one big parentheses. He's he's like, let me tell you a story about my awesome God. And I want you to read that story this week and be encouraged. Chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, maybe even 8 and 9, talk about generosity. Who would commit to reading that? I'm only asking you to read it one chapter a day, from here until next Sunday, and you're going to know the rest of the story, right? It saves me a lot of time in the preaching if you commit to that, right? And it's just going to be an amazing thing if you read it. Now, he gets to verse 5 of chapter 7, and here's what he says, for even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, He's still troubled, but we were afflicted at every turn, and I underlined this in my Bible. Fighting without and fear within. I think that basically sums up today. Fighting without, I sit around the table with my five kids. There's fighting without, trust me. At your house? Maybe it's not with the kids, maybe it's with mom and dad. That happens at my house too, I should admit that as well, right? Fighting without, fear within. Does that paint your picture? Fighting without, I'm at odds with somebody, and I'm scared to death within. This is the picture that's being painted. So I feel like we need encouragement. Because I'm asking you to be unafraid in your witness, and understand you don't want to get beat up for trying, right? I'm not trying to beat you up. I want to encourage you, I want to point you to the God that created every person you're ever going to talk to. The one who knows whether they're going to be saved or not and when. The one who wants you, well, let me just give you three truths to encourage you today. Three amazing truths from Scripture. I'm not going to go all over Scripture to tell them to you, but be encouraged with this. Okay? Write them down. Number one, Jesus wants to save everyone. Jesus wants to save everyone. You have the reference right there, Second Peter 3 9. You could add John 3 16. Categorically, Jesus came and died for everyone, and he wants to save everyone. So whoever it is you're scared to share with, you could stop it now, right? Two, Jesus wants the gospel everywhere. He wants to take the gospel everywhere, and he's going to do that, to the ends of the earth, and then he'll return. Acts chapter one, verse eight, good reference for that. There's many in all of scripture. And then this, third, Jesus wants to use us. Hey, church, wake up. Jesus wants to use us to change the world. Jesus wants to use us to change the city. Jesus wants to use us to change your workplace. He wants to use us. Sure, he could do it on his own. He can give him dreams. He can call down the Holy Spirit. He can do whatever he wants. But he's choosing to use us, believers. That's his plan to save the world. Don't miss this. Jesus wants to use us every day. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Matthew six or 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Jesus wants to save everyone. Jesus wants the gospel everywhere. And Jesus wants to use us every day. I hope you understand that. I hope you realize this is truth from Scripture. All right, now... Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. That's our food for today, and I know it's taken me a while to get there, but I need to give you the context before you see this. Paul's in a very bad place mentally, right? He's scared to death. And here's what he says. In the midst of tribulation, Paul looks at Jesus Christ, the king, for encouragement. Here's what he says. Did he look up? Did he meet somebody on the road that told him this story? What happened exactly? I don't know. But it has to do with Jesus. So if you came to church today, if you just look up towards him, if you just look into his word, you could be really encouraged today. Here it is. Verse 14. Something happened. Something changed him. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to God. The knowledge of Him everywhere. Sorry, I skipped a phrase there. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing To the one fragrance from death to death. They're already living in death spiritually and they're going to continue in death spiritually. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. They're already living life and they're going to live forever in eternity. Who is sufficient for these things? Who can do this? Even with the gift of evangelism, Michael, who can do this? Like, who can go out there and know that I got a 50-50 shot for somebody to be dead or alive? Who, Who can go out there and tell people Jesus loves you and have people tell them off or try to kiss them, right? It's like, thank you so much. Who can go out and do that? Who's sufficient for these things? It's a good question. He says in verse 17, For we are not like so many peddlers, hucksters of God's word, these super apostles that he's condemning. But as men of sincerity, as women of sincerity, as believers, sincere, as commissioned, with the great commission, by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So somehow, Paul has this little pep talk on the way from Troas to Macedonia Whether it was a long walk or whether he took a boat ride, I have no idea. But on the way, here was this little pep talk from God, right? Look up, meet my gaze. I am doing this. I don't know where Paul heard this before, but you have to hear it. I got this from a commentary this week. In Paul's mind is this picture of a Roman triumph. And of Christ as the universal conqueror. The highest honor which could be given to a victorious Roman general was a triumph. Okay, I'm going to explain it to you. To attain this, it must satisfy, he must satisfy certain conditions. He must have been the actual commander-in-chief in the field. The campaign must have been completely finished. The region pacified, and the victorious troops brought home five thousand of the enemy at least must have fallen in one battle. That's a big deal. This didn't happen very often. A positive extension of territory must have been gained, and not merely, uh, you know, deterring a uprising or you know, it's not about civil war. This is about taking ground from other nations. All right, here's what it is. In a triumph, the process of the victorious general, uh, the pr- uh, procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital in the following order. First came the state officials in the Senate, then came the trumpeteers, and then were carried the spoils taken from the conquering land. Then pictures even models of the conquering land. The citadels, the ships that were defeated. It's a big deal. It's like a, They get architects to build stuff so they can be like, this is what we conquered. It's, it's obliterated now. They're followed by a white bull that was going to be sacrificed. And then all the captives, the princes, the leaders, the generals in chains to be flung into prison or maybe even executed. They're walking. Then you have the musicians and then you have the priests swinging their censers with the sweet-smelling incense burning in them. And after that came the general himself. He stood in a chariot drawn by four horses. I could describe for you all of his get-up, but it's pretty crazy. And there's a guy holding a crown over his head. Not on his head, because he's not the king, but above his head. It's close, but not, not, not yet. And then all of the army comes after him, decorated and shouting their battle cry, the triumph. And they move through the streets, all decorated, all gussied up amid the cheering crowds. It made a tremendous day and it might happen once in your lifetime. It's like the Cubs winning the World Series. (laughs) Maybe once in your lifetime it's gonna happen, right? And there's gonna be this huge parade through the streets. Can you get that? Maybe once in our lifetime the Vikings could win the Super Bowl. Just maybe once. Maybe. And there will be a huge parade if they do. Claire? Are you getting the picture? Because Paul's getting the picture. He has this story in his mind. Maybe somebody told him on the road. Man, I was at this thing, and it was awesome! And this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and these guys were swinging this, and it smelled amazing! And he's like, man, God, you're awesome. Thanks for the picture. Because, remember what he said here? Remember what he said? <laughs> but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us. Always leads us in triumphal procession. Always is a long time. Every day you go out to work. Every day you talk to anyone. God is leading us in triumphal procession all the time. It'd be kind of weird, but you could just walk around with your hand up, right? All the time. You'd just be like, yep, following the Lord, following Jesus, just following him again today. People would think you were weird, but you could do it. And that's what he's doing. He's kind of like, can you believe the God we follow He's always, not once in a lifetime, he's always, every day, every second of the day, leading me in triumphal procession, every day, all the time. So why am I down? Why am I afraid to witness to other people? I just gotta tell you, this is what's happening. And I know in the picture, there's the incense of the priests, right? And I know that some people smell that incense and it's the aroma of death to them. All the guys that are trailing from the other land are going to be executed. They're like, this is the smell of death. And all the people in the procession besides them are like, this is the smell of life. No matter what my role is on the team, I'm on his team, the conquering king. And it smells like life to me, no matter my role. I love how it makes it so clear. Can that encourage you today? I mean, can that picture encourage you? To go out there, this life, and actually just be bold again, right? Just, just. Tell your story again. So here's our commitment to unafraid witness, all right? This is our commitment to unafraid witness right from the passage. Here's the first thing we speak for Christ. We speak for Christ. That's who we speak for. We don't speak for ourselves. I'm not trying to promote my thing. It's not about Harvest Bible Chapel. I don't care if you come to church here or go to a different one that preaches the gospel. I don't care. I really don't care. I know you don't think that about me, but I really don't care. There's lots of good churches. You can go to a, we need room in the nine o'clock service, so either move down and scoot in or check out a different church. It doesn't matter. There's another church that meets here at 11 o'clock on Sundays. You could check that one out. I'm just saying. Lots of seeds there. I don't care. I'm not trying to sell anything. We speak for Christ. I'm a messenger for the king. He told me what to say to you. I'm telling you the truth lovingly. We speak for Christ. Now, it says we speak for Christ. So we, who is we? We as believers in Jesus Christ. We, us, us, we, we, we speak in Christ. We. So you got to know this. We must be in Christ to speak for Christ. You must be in Jesus to speak for Jesus. Maybe you're like, man, this isn't working out too well. Whenever I speak for Jesus, people are rejecting me. Well, that might be just the aroma of death. But if it's always the aroma of death and never the aroma of life to anyone at all, check yourself on whether you're really in Christ. Okay? I'm not on a witch hunt. We're all all going the same place as long as we believe in Jesus, right? But like, if you're not seeing fruit for your labor... Isn't it just a logical thing to go like, am I just going to church? Or do I really know Jesus? Am I in him? Th- that's a fair question. Here, I'll say it this way. Here's another commentator I read this week, and it just scares me. It's so easy to get lulled to sleep by religion. Going to church seems to be good, right? I know all the Bible stories. That seems to be enough, right? Well, here's what it says. John MacArthur says this, uh, knowledge of God is not merely an intellectual awareness of a divine being. Right? That's how I grew up in church. I knew about God. I knew what I should say for God. I knew about Him. It was here. I could tell you all the Sunday school answers. I didn't know God intimately, right? Until I accepted Him as payment for my sin, personally. Okay. Knowledge of God includes serving God obediently and loving Him with heart, soul, and mind. The application of true knowledge admits a fragrance that people cannot help but notice. They're going to notice something's different about you. Wherever God's servants proclaim the gospel, its sweet-smelling savor becomes evident. Believers are God's agents to reach people everywhere with the gospel of salvation. Do you understand? It's, you have to be in Christ. You have to be saved. You're like, I am saved. Saved from what? What did you get saved from? Were you lost in order to get found? Or were you like, no, I always went to church all my life. Well, good. Good for you. But, you have to be lost to be found. You have to need a Savior to actually be rescued. You have to cry out to God and say, Help me, I've fallen and I can't get up. If you have never done that, I think today would be a phenomenal day. You're like, That's humiliating. I've been to church all my life. It's not humiliating when God speaks to you, it's exhilarating. So, if God's speaking to you today and he's saying, That's right. That's your story. Steve's telling it. Stop denying it. It's true. If he's saying that to you, then just get on your knees today and ask Jesus to save you from your sin, to be your Savior. And you'll have a God story too. I got to ask you do you have a God story? In your email right now is an email from me. If you didn't get it, you can email me somehow, figure out how to get a hold of the church, tell me personally I didn't get an email, and I will interact with you personally, okay? But you have an email in your inbox, and it basically says, here's my story. I want to hear your story, right? Because I would love to sit at the table with you. I don't even drink coffee. I'd love to go to coffee with you, and, and sit across the table like I used to do with everybody that came to our church, right? I used to do all the membership interviews. Now I haven't done one in two years. We have great leaders that do that. And I'd like to sit across the table from you via email, and I'd like to hear your story and like you to hear my story so we could know each other better. So I sent you my story, and I asked you to hit reply and send me yours, and I'll read it this week if you do. That's my commitment to you. I'd love to hear your story. Your God story. Do you have one? Do you have a story of God revolutionizing your life? Because that's the story you should speak for Jesus Christ to other people. That's the story that he wants you to tell for his honor and his glory. You can practice it at small group. Once you get it written out, keep a copy, right? And go practice at small group this fall. Or with your friend if you don't go to small group. That's okay too, right? Or maybe this is a catalyst to get in a small group because you want to go practice with some believers. All right, that's great. And you can practice with other people. When God gives you the opportunity, that prompting next time to tell somebody, what are you going to tell them? You're like, I didn't tell them because I didn't have anything to say. If you have a God story, you'll just tell them what God did in your life and let that be that. And if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But it's my story. This is the best I got. I'll just give it to you for free. It's what God gave me. It's my story. I can hear some of you in your heads saying, but, 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 but I don't talk, talk, talk good. You can't say anything to them. Excuses, excuses, right? Right? Exodus chapter four. Moses is the king of excuses, even though he wrote the first five chapters of the Bible. Right? Here's what it says. But Moses said to the Lord, oh God, My Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. It wasn't like you just like made me awesome, God. But I'm slow of speech. I don't think very quick and of tongue. I'm not witty. I don't know what to say on the right time at the right place. Then the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Who decides whether you speak or whether you don't? What you look at, what you don't. Who decides? Is it not I, the Lord? <laughs> now therefore go. The Great Commission, right there. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall, what is the word? Speak, yeah, that's it, isn't it? So our commitment to unafraid witnesses, is We speak for Jesus. That's what we do, church. If you want to be a part of this church, this is something that's never changing. We speak for Jesus, right? He's given us plenty to say, (laughs) and a personal testimony. We speak for Jesus. All right. Second, we speak with boldness. Now, I I really labored after this word, we speak with boldness, because boldness has this connotation in society of brash, loud, pushy, right? That's what, that's what boldness gets thought of in, in today's society. But I want to I give you another word to go with it. We speak with boldness, not pushiness, not obnoxiousness, and compassion. We speak with both, right? The boldness to plainly say what needs to be said and the compassion with which to do it. We speak with boldness and compassion. We are not peddlers. We are not selling anything. This is not an infomercial today. Three installments of 1995. Like that's not what we're doing here today. This is the clear, plain. I'm imploring you with the word of God, be reconciled to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying, just to be clear. I don't want you to leave here feeling like you paid for something that wasn't worth anything. You don't have to pay us anything. And what I'm giving away is worth so much, right? It's free. It's yours. You can have it. You can take it to a different church. You can take it out into the world. You can do whatever you want with it. It's yours for free. No strings attached. I love that. Because Jesus Christ paid for it. He paid the price for it. I didn't. He gave it all. Because he loves you, he loves me so much. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just look at the verse quick. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. It's not about me. It's not about you if you're a believer. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. We speak with boldness and compassion. Why do we love you so much? Why do we say this so clear? Because God loves us. All right, so I'm just going to give you five things in closing, and then we're going to sing five things. Um, we speak with humility. I don't have it all figured out. God's in control. We speak with humility. Write it down. This is what you're going to speak with humility. If you want to speak with boldness and compassion, these are five characteristics of that. Boldness and compassion is going to be characterized by these things. We speak with humility. I don't have it all figured out. God is in control. We speak with transparency. I'm a sinner too. Don't you know? I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's it. Be honest with your own struggles. We speak with sincerity, with pure motives, right? I'm not trying to get you to sell anything or buy anything. This is not a pyramid. There's no getting to the top of this. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I want to give you Jesus. He's not really mine to give. I don't have him bottled, right? You can have them freely with or without my help. We speak with certainty. I have uttermost confidence. I am sure that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again. And if you're not sure, there's no way you can believe this. But go study it out because it's a proven fact in history. Better than most of the textbooks you you read in high school is this fact. And then we speak with generosity. I want to share this gift with you because God gave it to me freely. The gift is freedom. I want to be generous with you about the fact that you don't have to live in bondage. This world's kind of tying you up in knots. You don't have to live in that. It tells you how to live, how to act, you know, all that. No, 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 no. You can live in freedom in Christ. So guys, as we go out there this week, right, and we speak for Christ... With boldness and compassion, that's what we're going to do. We speak for Christ with boldness and compassion. I'm just thinking that you need a little bit more courage to do it. And so rather than me speaking, I thought maybe God could speak to you. And you could speak to him. So we're going to do what we did last week, which is these little prayer circles. And I just get with two or three people, okay? And I want you just to ask, right? Ask God. Ask God to give you another opportunity to share Jesus Christ. Just ask him. Tell God, purpose, I'm gonna write out my story and I'm gonna have it ready when you do. Pray over the three people you have on your sheet or your hand. Pray over those three people. Don't force it, but ask God for an opportunity, all right? And then we'll close in prayer. Go ahead, take a second, get in groups of two or three and pray for these things. Father, as we, uh, as we come before you, we just ask simply, change our hearts, change our minds. We're not asking people to do something that we wouldn't do, that you didn't do in our lives. We're not selling something. We're not coercing them. We're not even asking them to come to church, God. They'll want to come to church if they receive Jesus Christ. We're asking them to consider the fact that Jesus Christ paid for all of their sin and that he lives again in victory over that, whether they think it's the smell of death or the smell of life. That's between you and them, God. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will open up the eyes of the blind this week and that many of us will see fruit for our labor. God, I pray for the person here that's struggling with their own salvation. They're wondering if they're saved or not. And I pray that you would speak to them clearly. God, there's no shame in being saved. We need to be saved from our sin. And so I pray that you would be mighty to save today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.